welcome to the podcast. Um, today we will be uh, tackling the world of femtech, which is, for those that don't know, a relatively recently coined term, um, but a sector that hopes to address myriad women's health issues that have been previously somewhat overlooked by the technology space. Our guest today is Joanna Smart. Um, for those of you that don't know Jo, uh, her shining career has included um, executive appointments ranging from startups all the way through to billion dollar global uh, companies in both the UK and the US. Uh, and her 20 something years in the market have been spent doing things ranging from enterprising growth, uh, corporate deal making and the translation of technologies. And she is currently the non-exec for Verso Biosense, where she's recently stepped down as their CEO. So welcome, Joe. So before we get into maybe the wider subjects, I think for the purposes of those that may not know you, it would be useful to learn a bit more about your journey and what's brought you to working in this space and, and with Verso um, Biosense, if we may. Of course. Rob, thanks very much for, uh, for chatting with me this morning. Um, so as you uh, in your as your introduction said, I have spent 20 years in life sciences and uh, I've worked with companies of all stages, um, but one of the other things I've done, and I spent over a decade working in this space, is the translational funding space. And uh, this is through my work with the NIHR, which is the UK's largest funder of health and care research. And this is where I came across the academic founders of Verso. So the I4I programme funds specifically the development of innovative health technologies to translate them from the, the bench through to tangible patient benefit. So. These guys were looking for uh, academic grant funding for this as a project. So I first met them um, from the University of Southampton. I first met them through this programme. And what drew me to the technology was a combination of some really interesting factors that you don't always find in the medical health technology space. So one of which was it was a really groundbreaking technology, the, the platform. And I'll talk more about that in a little while. Mm. Uh, the platform itself is fascinating, but it was it came about because of a clinical need and it was actually a clinical question that was asked of an engineering team um, and it, this is one of the things that you often don't see the origin of it was this unmet clinical need and a really important question that some really amazing technology could help to answer so that was what really drew me to it and then when i started reading more about it about the space and about female reproductive health research in greater depth i was really surprised to find there are some really fundamental questions about the basic physiology that no one knows the answers to and that was the final piece I think that meant I, I couldn't look away this this is a great no. piece of technology in a space that's really important. Okay perfect and so from the purposes of Verso I mean you, you talk about the interesting technologies that they have I mean, what's what's their, pro their sort of fundamental product that they have and, and where are they what are they fundamentally looking to tackle with with that product that makes it as hopefully disruptive as, as many of these technologies in the sector? Right. So the technology itself is, is a completely groundbreaking sensor platform. So what it does is it works deep inside the body and it has no internal batteries and no wires. And it can monitor these physiological parameters continuously over a course of many days. And that's really important when you're looking to monitor biological systems because what you don't want is to perturb the environment. So this is an indwelling sensor that can sit there and it's biocompatible and it can take these measurements over a long period of time. So it gives you this sort of 3D map of what's going on inside the body in real time if you choose to, to have it in real time. So it's, it's a really interesting piece of sensing technology. 
And the power is really interesting as well, because it doesn't have any batteries inside the body, but the power the system can generate gives you as much power as you would get from the smallest state-of-the-art batteries in that kind of system. So from a tech perspective, it's a really interesting piece of technology. And as I said earlier, it's it's about a clinical need. It's sitting in, in this case, in the uterus because the fertility clinicians wanted to know what the endometrial environment is like, because we've spent 40 years optimizing incubators for embryos in IVF. And we don't we put this embryo, we culture it for three to five days and then we put it into an environment that we just have no idea about. We have so little information about what's going on in the uterus. And so, of course, we don't understand why some embryos develop, why some of them don't, and why IVF can, you know, in, in most cases, only works in 30% of, uh, of, of cycles. Mm. Yeah, I, I must admit, to, to, to draw on a, a somewhat personal perspective, my, my wife and I went uh, through IVF, and it's it's obviously a phenomenal thing. We're very lucky we, we, we had a son, um, and it, but there are so many questions and so many unknowns, uh, and it, it is an incredibly difficult process for you know for my wife particularly I mean I'm I'm there almost as a bystander but the reality is from our from my perspective is there's so many questions that she couldn't have answered for her by the data and the information that the 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 fertility clinics have Uh, and so therefore this sort of thing uh, it, it seems it's it seems incomprehensible that that this sort of uh science hasn't already taken place now one of the things to sort of lead on from that before we discuss maybe the the, the uh, some of the more key topics femtech um some people love the term some people dislike it um obviously the uh but Iderton coined it in 2016 so it is relatively new for you what does it mean as as, as a as as a sort of a, a term what what do you put femtech as what does that mean to you personally you're right. It's a very broad term. Um, and mm. I think it's it's it, for me, it really covers any technology that addresses a health need that is either specific to or differently experienced by women. So mm. anything from period tracking apps. And that, of course, is, is where Clue originally came in. Um, and of course, they do so much more than that now. Novel contraceptives, pelvic health, uh, breastfeeding and long term chronic conditions. So it's not just about reproductive health. It's about any technology that addresses a, a, a need that's specific to women, whether that's um, specific because you are a woman or because um, because you as a woman experience different health conditions differently to men. Mm. Now, you, you somewhat touched upon this when when you were giving your introduction to, to, to what, what Verso does. Uh, and for, for some people may or may not know that obviously when the FDA decided to exclude women of childbearing age in 1977 from uh, drug trials. That obviously left a fairly fundamental gap in the industry's data. Uh, and that meant that the female populace really lagged behind in terms of the information that was available. So clearly all these technologies are trying to address something which um, hopefully will start to fill that gap. But how... How do you as an industry go about fulfilling what is essentially 30 to 40 years worth of data hole to, 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 to redress the balance? How do you go about that? I know that's a big question, but where do you start? <laughs> that's, it, it was a very, very good question and one I wish I had an immediate answer to. Um, 
I think, uh, as you say, it, a lot of it has to do with the historical lack of information. Um, mm. And that's something that you can't, either overnight or even over many years, you can't backfill that data. But what you can do is look forward and look at the real world experience of both men and women with the drugs that are already on the market and new drugs that are being approved. And it, drug is, is, is sort of a, a catch all, if you like, in this space. But you do see drug side effects and the monitoring of drug side effects it sits alongside the monitoring of device side effects. Mm. But uh, as you say, there's there's this kind of big data hole. So um, this this really came about because of thalidomide. Um, and the response to the terrible uh, fetal effects of thalidomide, um, which meant at, at the time home pregnancy tests didn't exist. So it made sense to exclude w women of childbearing age from all clinical trials in case there were these ter additional terrible side effects. So it made a lot of sense at the time. But the trouble is, it wasn't then uh, used to uh, to understand the differences. So the drugs were then approved on the market for men and women. So what you end up with is approved drugs, and Ambien is, is an interesting example of this, where it, when it's in the market with lots and lots of different people using the drug, you end up with observed differences. And over time, as you amass that information, you can start to make retrospective decisions. So, for example, with Ambien, FDA decided to lower the dose specifically for women because they were seeing side effects the following morning, more of them in women than they were in men. So what you can't do is fill in that complete gap. But what you can do is look forward prospectively and start to look at these observations and analyse the data. And that's one of the key things that to an extent is still missing. So there was an interesting report done by Brigham and Women's Hospital back in it was probably about six years ago that drew attention to some of these key areas. And one of the things that it highlighted was that a lot of clinical studies, even though they now have to include women, if they're NIH funded, and this is the US clinical trial funder for, for a huge number of them. It, they have to include women, but what they don't always do is include the analysis of those sex-related differences in the results. So what you don't see is what was observed in that clinical study. You also don't always get the right number of women recruited, so you might not be able to do that analysis. But again, it's it's all done, it's all behind closed doors because they're not declaring that information. So what I think we can do is start to push to have that information disclosed. And it may be it's not perfect. None of this information is perfect. But at least it's a start in starting to understand what these differences are. And part of it is about having the broader conversation. Yeah. OK, well, yeah. And, and I think as you, you completely correctly point out, you it's impossible to fill a gap that is so, so cavernous. But ultimately you you can try to address it as, as quickly and efficiently as possible and it, it seems like the green shoots of of this sector are starting to do that um now i mean one area which i suppose comes as a bit of a shock to anyone and it certainly did for me when when i started to read more about female specific technologies and the fact that obviously women make up 51 percent of the population there's a lot of feminine products in almost every other avenue that there could be but yet technology lags so far behind and and, and i was reading the the interview that, that that tanya bola did with um the telegraph recently and and one of the statistics was that it said that women are 75 percent more likely to use digital tools for healthcare than men are which begs the question why on earth is that market not being targeted so given that all these unique women uh, health related 
technologies are now coming to market. What do you feel has stopped that investment, that resource being dedicated to those things when so many burgeoning areas of medical technology are, are, are going going forward and are reaching you know really quite exciting heights, but it's taken this long for femtech, if that's what we're calling it, to, to, to get to a, even the starting blocks, it feels like now. I think a lot of it has to do with uh, a, a set of historical factors, which are to do with women not being involved in multiple different places in this ecosystem. And I don't think it's uh, I don't think it comes from misogyny. I don't I don't think it's intrinsically that there is a bias against women. I think it's simply the fact that there aren't enough female voices offering these suggestions and these ideas and bringing them to the table. So I think it it has to do with diversity, but not not as a feminist issue, but as a as a um, just as a lack of experience and lack of therefore personal understanding. So we all make decisions to a large extent based on our own experiences. Mm. So what you know what we bring to the table as individuals has to have an impact on the decisions that we make. So I think it's 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 a set of these factors where the 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 perspective of women's health wasn't recognized, wasn't brought to the table, and so wasn't recognized as an investment opportunity. And I think that's mm. one of the exciting areas that that make me most interested in the women's health space is because we're looking at investment opportunities that you don't see in other health spaces mm. because the investment hasn't been there and because the technology hasn't been there until recently. So the types of problems that you're tackling in women's health are some of the really big ones. And it's not that women's health problems are intrinsically more complex. It's just that we haven't really tackled them yet. And that, yeah. on the flip side, means that there are big investment opportunities because you can solve big problems with mm -hmm. comparatively simple solutions. So, you know, if you compare it to the field of oncology, so much work has been done that what you end up doing is, is uh, you're seeing incremental improvements in areas where there's already been a massive stride forward. But in lots of areas of women's health, we haven't yet taken those big strides. So we're ready to take those big strides. Mm -hmm. So from an investment perspective, that's a really big opportunity. Yeah, I mean, I was again reading that the the Frost and Sullivan report from last year, although it was obviously pre-pandemic, which I guess will have had a little bit of a change of maybe what the suggested outcomes will be for future predictions. But they're they're talking about you know investments reaching nine billion dollars, you know, by 2025, and 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 just over a billion of of revenue from 2024. So. Clearly, there is a market there from an investment point of view. Um, and, and I think, I guess it, it, you're right in the sense that if you're a male investor, and, and unfortunately, the market is not massively diverse, um, and the number of female investors are, are, are growing, but they're not there yet. And I suspect, as you say, it's that personal connection, isn't it? You And, and you see it a lot, I think, with the way that the the founders are, are, are orientated. So if you look, and although there are exceptions, people like Peter Asprey, um, who obviously is tackling issues because of something he's encountered personally, but uh, via someone he was talking to rather than it being a direct personal uh, I guess, experience. Um, but the reality is that most fintech companies are founded by or led by women. Um, and one thing I would be interested to get your thoughts on, and from a recruitment point of view, this is, this is an interesting factor actually, how do you stop a market like femtech becoming a niche product 
and a market where you almost have the flip side of diversity. So you end up with businesses that end up with a massively outweighing female populace and don't attract enough men into the businesses. You don't get enough men moving towards the top jobs or taking on or starting those roles. What could you do as a, what can the industry do to stop almost the, the exact opposite effect that you have in the current med tech space than occurring in the femtech space? Is there anything you think might help that diversity level out across both sectors? It's a really interesting point and one that, you know, when, I, when I, I've been recruiting teams, I look very carefully at the way I think about recruitment and make sure I am I am not either positively or negatively viewing anyone because of these characteristics. And I think part of it has to do with approaching teams and approaching problems. And it part of it comes from the candidates being interested in pursuing a, that particular avenue, solving a problem in this space. Mm. It has to do with all of us taking that very broad approach as we think about all of these opportunities. But it also has to do with education and understanding the size of the opportunities. So it's uh, I, I, I rail against positive discrimination of women to be chosen because you are a woman. You should be chosen because you are the best person to do the job. And it shouldn't matter whether you're male, female, from whatever background, it doesn't it doesn't impact how good you are at the job. And I think that's that's crucial. But I think it's partly about understanding that these are not niche areas. Um, so it, it's not a niche market opportunity. These are massive market opportunities. You know, fertility affects one in six uh, in, fertility issues affect one in six couples around the world. That's not far off hypertension as a market size. You know, these are it, these are big. So it's really important not to see women's health as a niche space. They're massive market opportunities and therefore they're interesting for all of us to want to work in, to want to invest in and want to develop products in because we can make these changes. So I think, you know, from from the. Uh, from the recruiters and the teams and the R&D teams, that makes it exciting to work in. And from a leadership perspective, you do need female voices to be heard because you need to understand some of the issues that you encounter, but you need that balance. And I think you're quite right. You don't you don't want purely female management teams for the sake of being female, because that's mm. that's no more beneficial than you know only having men who who lack that breadth of experience so it, it is crucial that we don't end up with that situation where we we sort of we 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 invest in femtech because it ticks a box and i think we've got to be very careful to avoid that yeah it's it's a difficult one isn't it because you want to you constantly want to raise the awareness of shortfalls in the market and you create this buzz around a term and it is affixed to the term femtech um but i think it, it, exactly like you say it's important that people don't get too wrapped up in it and don't go right well it, because ultimately i think part of the issue was is that it, and, and i think uh, tanya Bowler actually mentioned it when she went to look for investments people told her what she was pitching was too niche yes. but yeah what she was pitching at applied to over half the population you know how can that be niche so really, it, femtech isn't a term that should exist. It really should be tech for humans, i.e. Med, medical technologies, and it should almost not be a subcategory. Um, but equally, if it isn't, then you can't raise it 
raise the level. So you, you, you have to sort of accept that it's, it can be a positive thing, but avoid the negative connotations as well. Um, but ultimately, people are talking about it. You know, there's articles in the New York Times, there's articles in the Telegraph. That wouldn't have happened, what, two years ago, even, I wouldn't have suspected. So it, it is on a positive trajectory. So, look, I mean, I think we've we've tackled some of the core things. And look, we could talk for, you know, we could talk for four hours about all the ins and outs of, of what makes it a great industry and, and, and why people should want to work within it. I think there's a lot of things which the listeners will be will be interested about what you've said. But look, let's assume that things are going on a very positive trajectory at the moment there, as we've discussed, are lots of hopefully investment um, potential coming their way. The revenue projections are high. How does the sector go about fulfilling that potential? What what does it need to do to not be one of those things which people get excited about and then it loses momentum? How does the how does the sector continue to gain more and more investment, to gain more and more notoriety, and continue to grow from your point of view? Anyway, I think it, it's going to be important to think about uh, several things. One of which is as we just talked about, separating the issue of diversity and women's voice from women's health. They're both important, but they don't have to be tied together. And I think that's that's one of the reasons why women's health is an exciting space, because people are starting to recognise that there are opportunities there. But it doesn't depend on being led by women. It doesn't depend on being um, a diversity issue. So I think that in terms of the women's health space and, and femtech, that will lead to a much longer term, much more stable space within the industry, you know, to, to create its own vertical, if you like, um, to to separate it from being a, a, a an issue to make it into an opportunity within the market. Um, I think, as we talked about earlier, some of the uh, people sometimes refer to low hanging fruit in terms of investments and products and opportunities. I think realising some of those is going to be important. So, a lot of it has to do with building some of these successful businesses and then investors seeing exits from those successful businesses. Now, we are seeing more and more exits in the femtech space, but we need to continue to see those and continue to see the success because that's really ultimately what prompts further investment in the earlier stages, because you can mm. see a track record of investments in that space have been successful. So I think that's important. And I think it's really to do with capturing how big these opportunities are. You know, if half the population are going to suffer at some point in their lives from the menopause, then that's a big opportunity. And that's really where we should be looking to to target some of these major health advances because it's a big market. So I think it really has to do with focusing on how important this is as a market and taking out some of the issues that you can address and, and should be addressed within the space but also about focusing on exactly the same metrics that we use in other health spaces in terms of investment. Um, I think that's really what's going to prevent it being a bubble and make it a long term, really exciting space. And ultimately, the reason I'm in this and the reason I, I'm involved with Verso still and, and a number of other businesses is because it's about evidence based medicine. So the, the more we can bring evidence based medicine to women's health, the greater the difference we can make. Uh, and that's really what's going to transform both the health of the uh, of 50 percent of the population and it will have knock on effects um, to male health as well because we understand the diseases better but it's also about making sure that we um we're solving these problems and taking the investment opportunities mm. well i think uh, yeah i mean that's a, a great summary and and um and I, I think my hope for things like this i think and, and maybe part of the reason that 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 
femtech and, and various other things i've i've engaged with uh, a number of health uh, sorry mental health businesses and i think uh, we we've talked about this previously is that maybe the the sort of social stigma that would have once come from men talking about female issues or men talking about their own mental health issues or, um, you know, if it happens to be infertility in men or whatever it happens to be. Now it seems that those social barriers are coming down uh, and, and and where we've got to with Femtech, I hope, I hope will be something that can be replicated in other areas where where potentially there has been a social stigma uh, and that's prevented investment or, or, or whatever else uh, progressing those technologies to a level where really they should be for, for the human sustainability that, that, that the market claims to be pushing towards. Um, I think you're right. I think I think taboo subjects um, are the cause of a lot of uh, failures in, in our collective ability to solve health problems because we mm. won't talk about it. And, you know, my own experience of, of speaking with investors over the last four years, it's changed. It's so much easier to have the conversations this year than it was four years ago to talk about female reproductive health. You know, there's there's a lot less discomfort on the other side of the table when you start talking about menstruation. You know, it's it's really important to be able to talk about these issues just in exactly the same way that we talk about cardiovascular health. Yeah. Mental no. health is a really important space to, to uh, and a really important parallel. So I, I agree. I think it would be great if we can extend these uh, uh, the, the conversations to other areas where we're less comfortable talking about it. Mm. Super, super. Great. Well, look, um, I, thank you very much. I think it's been a, a really interesting uh, topic of conversation. As I say, I would quite happily talk about this for hours with you. Um, but, uh, you know, I, hopefully it's been it's been something which has given uh, people cause for thought. Maybe some of the investors that have been out there will uh, get a, a little bit more of an insight into into what goes on there, and will make them think about potentially next time they're going through their uh, their, their their portfolios, how they might potentially diversify, uh, and and hopefully it brings a bit more spotlight onto what is a hugely exciting area and, and an area which has a lot of human good ahead of it. So uh, look, thank you very very much for your input. It's been greatly. Uh, greatly appreciated and uh, we uh, we look forward to getting the comments of our various listeners as well thank you rob really enjoyed it no problem